I confess that I hooked up with a man in a pink flamingo costume in his RV parked in the lot of my hotel. He even had a pet alligator. This podcast is intended for those 18 and over. If that's not you, please check out scarleteen.com and come back to this podcast when you are of age. Thank you for listening to the Bedpost Confessions podcast. Bedpost Confessions is an Austin, Texas-based monthly reading and performance series about sex, sensuality, and the steamy side of life. Between performers, we ask audience members to anonymously submit anything worthy of a confession, which is then read aloud by one of our producers. The performance you're about to hear was recorded on May 16th, 2013, by a man we will call The Professor. Here is The Professor reading his piece, Three Hot Wordless Fucks. You know, as I... uh... I was sitting down to put these thoughts together for the show, and it was supposed to be a story about the sort of moment of insanity I had where I, I ran off to Europe for a few months, uh, which you can do when you're in your early 20s. Um, and I started writing it, and I realized I couldn't actually, I was writing and writing, and I could not get out of the States. I could not actually get to Europe as I was writing. So I finally just stopped writing. And uh, so I guess what you're going to hear tonight is part one of something a little longer. Maybe I'll come back with the other thing. And it's about a strange month, that month before I went to Europe. And it goes by the title, Three Hot Wordless Fucks. So the hot wordless fuck. This is, uh, I mean, up against the wall, right? Nine and a half weeks, um, the hottest shit, fuck. This is supposed to be the good stuff. We're raised with this. This thing is having erectile problems. (laughs) I feel for you ladies. All right. So those ladies, those ladies over there. Okay. All right, the hot wordless fuck. We're raised on this. Movies, porn, um, Buffy and Spike, right? Um, The hot wordless fuck is amazing. It's mind-blowing. It's life-changing. And from my experience, I've come to think of the hot wordless fuck as life-changing in the same way that, like, a Roman candle duel is life-changing. Am I the only one who's done this? You know, you're running through the woods, feeling a little crazy, like, pow, pow, like Roman candles at each other. A lot of fun, and then somebody's hair is on fire. <laughs> Maybe it's yours. Maybe it's mine. That's hot as shit. So this month, it started with a hot wordless fuck with a woman who happened to be my boss. I was working at a TV station in a small town out west. My first real job after college. And for 18 months, this job was awesome, right? Abusive and stressful, actually, like most jobs in television, but it was a job, and I was excited. The producer of the Weekend News, her name was Casey. And we had great repartee. We worked the news together. I should say that she wasn't really my boss boss, but since I was directing her show, 
She was my queen for 28 minutes and 30 seconds, twice a week, which was something you know hot about that. Making live television is kind of scary. It's tense. And when you're shoulder to shoulder in the control room, things get a little rough. She would sort of slice me with these glares and grab my arm and bark at me whenever the fuck was going wrong at that moment. And then it would be over, and I was like a superhero. She would thank me publicly, profusely. There's more than a little bit of non-consensual S&M in this relationship. But, you know, from my point of view, is you know, a little it's a sassy, like, bogey and Bacall, some, you know, Kate Hepburn, Cary Grant. And then, as we say, a classic blunder, a late Saturday at a disco, the disco, small town, the staff brought stacks of beers in cold milk pails. They used to do this, you know, call it Bucket of Rocks or something. That was new back then. It seemed clever. TV people drink a lot. I drove Casey back to the station to where our cars were, and I said, I think we should go inside for a you know, cup of coffee. Our heads are full of rocks. And I have a long drive home. And as we headed to the cafeteria through the station, she steered me into the station's audio booth. Somehow I had not realized that the audio suite was the only part of the building that actually has a deadbolt. Most rooms have a key card, right, which means it's pretty useless for true privacy. The audio booth was soundproof. It was the fuck station of the TV station. <laughs> I didn't realize. Casey turned the deadbolt and we fell upon each other without a word, right there on this thick carpet floor, just the comforting sounds of the network news. The overnight feed come, comes down the whole night, right, from the whole world, spilling onto us from satellites in 15, 30, 90 second sounds of bursts of light and sound on, off. I'm 23 years old. This struck me as completely fucking nuts and really awesome in the best possible way. We got dressed silently, and she kissed me hard at the door and disappeared. And she really disappeared. Our rapport disappeared. We went from Bogey and Bacall to, like, Archie Bunker and Meathead, from, <laughs> from the daggers and the thank yous to just cold and fidgety and let's not be in the same room together. And I have no idea what went wrong, but I think I was already figuring out that words had something to do with it, or the lack of them, or finding the right words. Uh, because, you see, I was having problems with this other woman and words. I've been trying to get this uh, other girl to date me, a California girl. She's new in town. Fascinating, because she didn't even have a television. A true bohemian. She lived in her uncle's basement, and she was studying yoga, which was way dippier back then than it is now, believe me. Her name was Emma, although my friends called her Emma, 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 Emma. <laughs> Behind her back, which I didn't really understand. I really liked her. She'd, you know, we'd go to the movies, and she'd always invite me back to her place and give me buckwheat noodles and chai. <laughs> but she was dating this other guy, a 40-year-old sculptor, his only project, as far as I could tell, was carving the same marble bust of Abraham Lincoln over and over again. 
This was not art, by the way. This was his job. Our, our little town needed these busts because our only public art, the statue of Lincoln down in the town square, was ritually decapitated about, you know, every year. Bored teenagers. Bored teenagers trying to do something about their hard-ons after prom. The head, Lincoln's head pops off. That sounds more blasphemous than it did on the page here, but Lincoln's head pops off. Emma's boyfriend goes to work. I worried about Emma and Mr. Lincoln. I worried about the precise sequence of words that I could use to make her understand what a loser this guy was. Back then, I thought words could do that. My first serious girlfriend in high school She'd been magically tuned by some words. Anything seemed possible with her if I could just, like, get the words Duran Duran into the conversation. <laughs> words like Duran Duran do things. Some other words do things, too. But I could not find that charm for Emma. Finally, one day when the chai had gone cold again, and Emma was complaining again about her boyfriend and the sorry lack of public art in town. I sat next to her and held out my hand, and she took it. I said, a couple weeks ago, I fucked Casey on the floor of the audio booth. <laughs> and added, I think I'm going to have to quit my job. And she kissed me. Not just kiss me, she pushed me down, hard hands rushing outside and inside, making a mess of our clothes and the buckwheat noodles. <laughs> she wore these ridiculous tight, um, like, overalls all the time, which is like a hipster chastity belt. So <laughs> it was like... <laughs> Remember that, okay? So this was sex with our clothes on but it seemed like an awesome promise of things to come. Or maybe she just had a thing for guys with no job security. <laughs> but I don't know, because she never returned my calls after that afternoon. Oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> I, did not, I did not take this rejection well. Uh, when she dropped me, I felt like a hook had been pulled from my body. And it was then that I realized, Emma, 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 Emma. My friends knew that she was like this siren call, like some kind of hypno-toad, something blinding, something blinding here, only I was seeing this need to convince her, right, to solve her like a puzzle, trying stupidly to win her. But she was just a young person far from home, living for free rent, with no television and a bunch of designer yoga mats, trying to find a world she wanted to live in, and I had the overpowering desire to get out of that small town. So I took the savings I had, and I bought a plane ticket to Europe with no return date. I drove up to the city and lingered for a week saying goodbye to my friends. I had a dinner date with Anya, who was a woman I dated for several years on and off in college. We hadn't spoken since graduation, but a few postcards had gone back and forth, 20, 30 words at a time, 
I thought hints, regrets tucked in between the li- between these lines. I sent a lot of postcards that year, actually, to the women and some men that I pined over. A woman who had dated my roommate before they broke up, a friend studying in Paris, living, in my imagination anyway, like a left-bank philosopher, but, you know, wearing like an Afghan wigs t-shirt. <laughs> and, of course, Anya. Maybe because of those postcards, I thought it was weird when Anya showed up to this dinner with her employer, yet another middle-aged dude, those assholes. <laughs> this, one, uh, this one had a small Microsoft fortune in his pocket, though, and he had an idea, a film, about the rich history of the Russian Jewish people on the West Coast. Awesome, awesome stuff. Anya's people, the Russian Jews. She thought, I could help give this concept some flesh, her words. Now, what I knew about Russian Jews was truly next to nothing. Mostly, I just knew the secret places to have sex with Anya at her parents' house. <laughs> because they, they, they thought she was a virgin, and I was not allowed in her room. That's basically what I knew about Russian Jews on the West Coast. <laughs> and I, I wondered about him and her, right? I never know how to read these things. Is he, is he touching her arm significantly? Was that a knowing laugh between them? Was he, you know, mentally undressing her right, with his mustache? <laughs> this interminable, awkward dinner finally ended. In my mind, I'm practically in the French Foreign Legion at this point. I'm, I'm leaving in the morning, no intention of coming back. I am fed up. I did, though, ask Anya if she wanted to have a drink at my hotel. There were those postcards in those lines with promises tucked between them. I once read this collection of writings by an Indian mystic, a guru, if you will, who said, when you have sex with someone, your karma becomes so entangled with them that your soul is bound to them for seven more lifetimes. Seven. Say, think back. It's okay. Take a minute. Every orgasm is like a bad check. So, you know, choose wisely. On you went along with me to my surprise, and we fucked like prisoners on parole. Urgent and careless by the light of a hotel television, this time passionate but silent. We'd been separated for two years, but somehow her twists and turns, the meaning of a sigh or the catch of her breath, still remembered by my hands and my mouth. It was a language, you see, between us that we had forgotten that we knew that dialect. And it came back. But some part of our our brain or our soul would always know that. I thought maybe that guru was onto something. And still, we did not speak. It was like having sex with a silent movie. I mean, it's kind of fun, but everybody's moving a little too fast and trying too hard. Anyway, we didn't have much to say one to the other, or maybe we could not say it, and we did not pretend to say it. 
She left sometime in the night, and I didn't even wake up. I think we all have these moments where our whole life becomes hot to the touch. It scalds you, and you don't want it to touch your skin. You want that life that you somehow stumbled into to just sit over there on the surface of this planet and burn the fuck down right in front of you. Friends, family, job, your ashes. Washed clean by the wind and a storm before your eyes can dry and you can't see where your life is going, except that it's away from you and you want it gone. I was up very early the next day and never so glad to be in an airport. I'd had a hot, wordless fuck that scared the shit out of me. Three of them, actually. Like Roman candles, they set me on fire. To be continued. The Professor is a loved performer on the Bedpost stage. He teaches classes on film and television to your children at a well-regarded liberal arts institution not far from Austin. Bedpost Confessions is produced by myself, Mia Martina of the I Want Your Sex podcast at MiaOnTop.com, Sadie Smythe of That's What Sadie Said.com, and Julie Gillis of JulieGillis.com. Podcast audio production by Ian Danskin at InuendoStudios.com. You can find links to all of our websites and more information about Bedpost Confessions at BedpostConfessions.com. You can also confess with us at Bedpost Confessions on Facebook and Bedpost Confess on Twitter where we tweet audience confessions. Chime in and add yours. Until next time, we'll leave you with a few other confessions from the audience. I confess, 24 hours, four different men from Craigslist. You go, you. I confess, I've fucked so many of my friends, I'm moving to California. I confess, I have surreptitiously masturbated and come at my work desk, an airplane seat, and spread eagle on an examination table when the doctor kept me waiting too long. <laughs> All right. I'd like to walk in on that one.